This is Table Talk 19.9375 from the guys at Late Afternoon Gaming. Technical issues abound tonight. Jack's audio was messed up for the first 10 minutes of our first recording, and Nerf's audio for the session became corrupted, so I couldn't publish Witch Hunt Part 2. Which is for the best, really, because it just wasn't that great anyway. Maybe we'll try again later. But for now, enjoy this week's Table Talk. Okay, and I can see that you guys are not causing waveforms on my end. <laughs> Great. <laughs> it was nice last time when we only went like two minutes before this happened instead of ten minutes deep. <laughs> yep. Um, Sorry. Okay. So, welcome back. We're on Table Talk. I already forgot what I said. It's like 19.9375 or something like that. Uh, that might be wrong, but check the title. You'll see what it is. Uh... For the Ombudsman Report, I've got a lot to talk about because uh, I did, excuse me, prior to the session we just did, I hadn't done any of the editing for the session previous to that. So I've got four sessions worth of Ombudsman Report. Not that I'm going to go through all of it. Um, but, um, and in fact, so audience, just so you know, this is take two of this table talk. I've already talked about some of it, and frankly... I don't really care about repeating it, so I'm just going to move on. Um, Audience, if there were more of you, we would we would make more of an effort. But yeah, that's true. Uh, although I do have some some good stats for the end of this one. But um, the uh, the next thing that came up as a question during table talk was meet minimum temperatures. What's like the the safe minimum temperatures for different meats when you're talking about cooking in a sous vide at a precise temperature or whatever. Um, well, the USDA actually has a good uh, site for that. Go figure. Um, beef, pork, veal, lamb, steak, chops, roast, 145 degrees. Ground meats, 160. Ground poultry, 165. Ham, 145. Uh, all poultry, 165. Fish and shellfish, 145. That's all there is to it. Uh, another question was uh, PB2. What pa- or What flavors are there other than... Uh, peanut butter and chocolate peanut butter. So for those of you who are not familiar, PB2 is a powdered, like, I don't even know if it's technically peanut butter or if it's a peanut butter replacement. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar, go but back and listen to the other episode where we talk about it. Add water and you can make like a peanut butter-like substance. Mm-hmm. Well, they've got a, for just the peanut ones, because they've also got almond, uh, like PB2 almond protein powder stuff. Um, it looks like they really only do have, uh, like peanut butter and chocolate peanut butter, and then they've got almond, um, and like Madagascar vanilla almond, and that, that's it. That I guess there's really not that much going on here. But what more do you you need? You know? Yeah. No, I mean, there's nothing wrong with classic peanut butter, I'll tell you. Um, let's see. Uh, on the subject of things we talk about during table talk, I want to comment that Jack was really asleep at the wheel when it came to links for the last table talk. Yeah. Uh, he, he posted one link for it, and it was the one that Duncan sent him at the end for the Metcalf sniper attack. Uh, and so normally what I do is uh, I have Jack's link dump open while I'm editing, and if something comes up during it that I think is worth linking to, I, I will throw that link in. And I was I was really kind of taken aback when I opened it up uh, for the last table talk. I'm like, we, I'm sure we talked about more than this. Uh, and now there's like a full page of links <laughs> for that one. Yeah. Uh, it it also comes down to the philosophy of what things should be linked. Um, 
sometimes, I don't know, there's only four or five. Sometimes I just, I link to everything that people might not know. Like, as an example, for the last one, I made a phrenology reference. So I linked to the Encyclopedia Britannica page for phrenology. Um, is, are you, are you too good for I, Wikipedia now? Or? I, it was just the first link <laughs> when I searched phrenology. Uh, I'm never too good for Wikipedia. I love Wikipedia. Um, anyway, so Jack, if you could please try a little bit harder, that'd be nice. I might. That's my, that's my uh, commitment. Okay, great. So for some of the session stuff, um, I'm not going to try to investigate uh, everything we did wrong with our characters in Downtime 4 because we mm -hmm. just rolled random characters and didn't know what they could do. Uh, and Nerf isn't here yet, but the one thing I will comment on when it comes to that kind of thing is and Sanderall, the Faithless, his first turn was like 20 minutes of him like hemocrafting <laughs> and, and doing all like these crazy <laughs> bloodhunter things. <laughs> He was a level 19 paladin, level 1 bloodhunter, and he spent all his time doing bloodhunter things as opposed to just the very quick and easy things he could have done as a paladin, which is very funny. But he wanted to roll uh, his hemocraft die. Yeah, I know. We all <laughs> uh, we just, all wanted the hemocraft die. Uh -huh. The other funny thing was uh, Duncan, you know, when he kind of noticed or, you know, realized, oh man, these guys have level 20 characters with a sheet they've never read before. And he said something to the effect of, this session is going to be full of us going, oh, I can do this, or, or let me check my sheet and find this. Uh, and then that's exactly what you, Duncan, did during uh, the following session where you've got a level 20 paladin that you rolled up and had never actually played before. And you're like, oh, shit, like, what can I do? What is all this? So I think uh, it sounds so like what you're similar. saying is that's projection, but it's also totally correct. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, yeah, nothing was incorrect about it. It was just a funny comment. Yeah. The, the uh, funny thing is I actually did, like, put in... I did do some homework. I, like, sat down, and I, I was very deliberate about which spells I added and uh, had prepared. And, like, I did try to know the sheet in advance, and I failed. Yeah, that's true. I will say my one comment for you during Witch Hunt was that uh, you should have been doing saving throws for concentration on holy weapon when you took damage right yeah so um, i only do saving throws if i'm prompted by the dm I, and that's that's fair uh i i had not looked closely enough i should have known that um and i just i forgot i want I you to know a, that i knew uh, okay um <laughs> uh, i have actually i like i don't spend a lot of time reading like rule books and stuff like i have in the past but i, I don't Last time I actually, like, read the player's handbook kind of cover to cover was the first time I ever picked one up. But I have I have a, a generally a really good memory for spells um, and, like, class features and racial features and stuff like that. So it's a little surprising to me that I didn't remember to... Or, like, it didn't occur to me at the time to do that. I, uh... Um, I, in the opposite, I, I, like... While I've read the Dungeon Master's Guide before, I really... I'm, I'm missing a lot of rules. Like, I'm not as well versed as I should be as a dungeon master and so I, I currently have the dungeon master's guide and the monster manual in my bathroom as my my current poop books that's actually a really good idea because guaranteed in a month I will be f the, the most knowledgeable person in the world on both of those books <laughs> sure um, yeah I've got it I've always told people I have a really good memory for just shit that doesn't matter like kind of like useless facts and factoids i I, i'll remember those for the rest of my life important things like people's names um <laughs> like, eh, not so good you know what though like 
my hot take, fuck people's names. You need to know when to make concentration saving throws and or I mean constitution yeah, saving true. throws and yeah, you know, whatever. I mean you can just point at people and say, Hey you mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you're yeah, not you're not gonna develop out. a good gut for when to force someone to make a saving throw, so go go ahead and memorize the rule. Yeah. Um next thing for witch hunt, uh Eldath is not the god of knowledge. Uh I like I looked it up in the player's handbook for gods of the multiverse, and I don't know how I messed it up because this is very clearly that Eldath is the goddess of peace. Okay, so Gary Gygax <laughs> called me about that drunk off his ass. Um, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and uh, he was mad, uh, but yeah, he calmed down eventually. But I was going to talk to you about that, and I forgot. Yeah, I don't know how I got that wrong. Jack sounded like you were about to say something. No, I was just chuckling. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, yeah. I, I figured that, yeah, you had read, you know, some drizzed book that had made that more clear and you were grinding your teeth the whole time. Yeah, you know, I get really up in arms with the inaccuracies that come up in, uh, uh did you know that in Curse <laughs> of Strahd, the, uh, the town isn't actually called, uh, Vlaki, it's called Hillsfar, but Duncan keeps talking about it. Oh, yeah, up. yeah. <laughs> That's so weird. Um, and that's why they were much more standoffish when we approached as a bunch of non-humans. Right, um, because they wanted to put you in the arena. <laughs> uh-huh. To reenact the battle. Like defenders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Jack, Dark Alliance. You, you do not have as much money as you think you do. Um, so I looked at your character sheet, and you have it marked as you have 147,000 platinum, and you don't. Um, no, I think I do. <laughs> no, the uh, you have ten percent of that. No, I'm pretty so, sure I do. No, so you actually you do not have like the the robe of stars that you bought that wiped out half of your money. Is this because of my uh, alternate financial conversion in our previous no. campaign? It, it, what I, I said, think it was because it, no, with that, that I, I tried to take it game. during this game to, to the metric system where it's it's divisions of well, I think I was doing divisions of a hundred for everything. Or was it ten? You weren't, though, because <laughs> we, we always corrected you and, and we didn't. The reason was um, we used our platinum thing in D&D Beyond to mark what we had in the bank. So that was the number of gold we had in the bank. The thing is, uh. with m- me and Nerf, we had it in platinum. So it was like 14,000 or something um, to mark the number of platinum we had in the bank because we just converted it so that we wouldn't get confused. Jack mm. would... Excuse me, I stuttered. Jack, what you did was you put the number of gold that you had in the bank in your platinum spot, but then you later confused it and thought that that was the number of platinum you had. But yeah, it's well, not. I think it is, though. It's <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> no, I think it is. So this is so, why in our next campaign we're using the Harry Potter financial system. Right, which we talked about before where it's like 17 nuts per sickle and 23 sickles per galleon or something. I, uh... Yeah, I... I it's funny because I've read those books several times and I, I don't know enough to correct you. Well, they only mention it one time during the, uh, like, when Hagrid is talking to uh, Harry, or he's, like, bringing him through Diagon Alley. Mm. Uh, that's the only time they bring it up, and then at no point in the rest of the entire series, I think, do they ever mention the conversion rate. So here's what I would be curious uh, to, to look into is, is it consistent? Like... Do the, given those numbers you just provided, are the prices for things given in the books, like, do they make sense? Um, I think Elijah Yudkowsky and H.P. Moir, Jack, you gotta link that, 
yeah, um, no, mentions that arbitrage with uh, well, it's not just and, the arbitrage. Nuts. He he's he's talks specifically about how in the books there doesn't seem to be like a consistent valuation of like how much something or like how much does a galleon get you? Um, I think as an example, he says um, if a galleon is supposed to be like five pounds, that doesn't really square with the Weasleys having secondhand or uh, like yeah secondhand wands or something like that because they only cost like five galleons. Um, oh sure. So. So he, what he's saying is that like, they just kind of, uh, J.K. Rowling had just used, you know, uh, I don't know, that's like five galleons or something. I, I don't know that she necessarily had a super consistent metric for, yeah. uh, how much something should be worth and having it be super consistent and arguably not terribly important. Um, is it true that that's why she got canceled? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, everything else kind of, uh, kind of irrelevant. Jack, go ahead and link her uh, heartfelt essay. Yeah, you know what? I, I do want to pose an exercise to the to the listeners. I don't listeners. I don't know where you fall on the J.K. Rowling turf cancellation thing, but um, as a fun little afternoon activity, just read the like tweets about her, and then go read the shit that she actually wrote. Um, it's pretty funny. It is pretty funny. I, th- I think you will find that the people tweeting probably did not read. <laughs> it's entirely possible. Um, okay. Uh, and then that's pretty much it. Uh, I was going to make fun of Nerf because uh, somehow Emmerich already has that, like, he took a long rest, like, as soon as the fight was over or something like that because <laughs> he's already got all his health back. Time paradox. Um, but, uh, but he's not here, so I'll skip that. That is it for the ombudsman report for our podcast stats we're up to 754 downloads um, per episode because we one of these days that <laughs> you're gonna get a new joke um the uh uh we had like 50 downloads in the last week and when i first logged in i was like oh my god that's awesome and then i realized it's because i dropped four episodes in the span of like one day it's the auto downloads <laughs> yeah yeah so um on when was it on the 21st we had 30 downloads total. I was like, oh my god, but that's because that's like when I dropped all the episodes. Well, I, you know, I have bad news for you, and that's first, I, I just moved into an apartment that's across the street from my office, so I'm, I'm not doing as much commuting these days. Second, Uh-oh. my, my viewership's going to drop. <laughs> I'm in an apartment, and I no longer have a lawn to mow, so your viewership just got cut in like at least half. Right, yeah. Um... Uh, now now I'm the only one who's going to listen to the podcast. Right now it's going to take me, you know, two weeks of commuting to get through one episode. Uh-huh. Um, no, I actually do have some, some table talk topics that I've written down here, though, on my little pad. Um, I also, I have one funny one, but uh, I'll, uh, well, you know I'll drop it later. Yeah, yeah, you will drop it later. Um, I thought a good question to ask, you know, so the multitude of the 754 unique listeners that download every episode um so they could know more about us uh, what are your physical setups like where are you right now or i mean not you know you don't have to say where in the world like, your address is but uh, when we're recording what what are your surroundings what do you use do you roll physical dice you know how does that work shepherd uh so for me um I mean, I, I have a very, very small place because I'm working in a somewhat remote location. Uh, so I, I have, like, 
kind of one room that serves as everything, uh, which is not great. I My desk for my computer is an old plastic folding table that I got at a Sam's Club like five years ago. Because uh, I I don't have a desk here, and there isn't room for a desk, and this uh, this table is just about the only thing that sort of works. Um, so I mean, I've, I've got everything all in this one spot. Uh, I've got you know my mic boom arm like affixed to this table, and it it sits to my right. Um, I've got two monitors that barely fit on this tiny table, uh, but tech wise, we all kind of have a similar setup going on. Uh, Jack pioneered it, I copied it, and then I bought the same thing for uh, Duncan and Nerf, which is I use a GoXLR um, with a uh, Audio-Technica condenser microphone, uh, which, that, I mean, honestly, I would pay as much money as I paid for it just to have a, a physical mute button that doesn't make a ton of noise, uh, which I use to great effect. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. If there's much to say other than I don't use physical dice when I'm doing this. I just do it all digitally because uh, one, it's easier, and two, then everyone can see my rules are public. Um, so I've said it before. If anyone's gonna cheat, it's me, uh, and I'd rather just take it out of the equation by uh, by rolling digital dice that everyone can see. I, I guess that's it. So I guess I'll go next. Uh, like uh, <laughs> you, you stole my thunder, but. Like Shepard said, GoXLR is the main audio interface that pretty much all of us use. And if you're not familiar with what exactly an audio interface does, because I imagine a lot of people wouldn't be, a lot of microphones are USB microphones. You just plug them right into your computer and they work. And those those are like, they're fine. Like, they're perfectly intelligible. If you're going to use that, then it'll get the job done. But higher-end, more professional microphones use a different connector called an XLR connector. And your computer does not have an XLR port. So in order to use an XLR microphone with your computer, you need to get something that can connect to your computer, typically via USB. And then that device has an XLR connector that you can plug the microphone into. So it serves as an interface between your computer and your studio-grade microphone. So we all have the these nice Audio-Technica XLR microphones, and then we use an audio interface to get that signal to our computer. Audio interfaces typically have a couple other features on them, but that's the main thing it does is it lets you use equipment that utilizes ports that don't come standard on a PC. So the Go XLR is nice because it acts as an audio interface, but you can also use it to control the volume of other inputs and have it output to your headphones. It has like physical sliders, so I can adjust the volume of, for example, this, uh, we we're on Discord right now, and I can adjust how loud everybody uh, sounds to me using a uh, fader that is dedicated to Discord. But if I'm listening to music, I can have that on a separate fader. And if I have, you know, anything going on in a browser, I can have that on a on the third fader. There are four faders on it. And so it's really easy to do individual volume adjustments of different sources without digging into a bunch of, like, sound settings. It's, I can just reach up and slide a thing. OXLR is a great product. Love it. Uh, where my setup differs a bit from everybody else's is I actually have another that's not really an audio interface it's an audio controller called a Beacon Mix Create that gives me even more 
just like ways to play with volume levels, but it doesn't interface with the microphone at all. Um, but as far as how how like I do these sessions, I have a studio apartment basically. Um, so I'll just want a really big room. So I have my computer desk that I do like everything else at and I just sit here and play the game. I don't know. <laughs> but, but yeah, Beacon, Beacon Mix Create and Go XLR with an Audio Technica microphone. Good setup. A lot of fun. Very easy to use once you get it set up. Mm, nice. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm using the same tech as Jack described. I've got a the same Audio Technica mic and Go XLR um, because that's what we were able to buy with the all the revenue from the podcast. Um, no, I, I think I mentioned it back in like one of the early table talks because I had recently bought. Um, all the recording equipment for you and Nerf, and I was like, this podcast has set me back like thirteen hundred dollars. <laughs> right, but it's it's paid itself off m- many times over by now. Uh-huh. With all the- speaking of which, this uh this <laughs> table talk is brought to you by Little Caesars Pizza, where quality meets <laughs> uh, price. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I stand by what I said before that I I really yeah, Little Caesars has its place. Um, yeah, in hell. Yeah, yeah. In, I mean, if, if you can, put. Yeah. I, if you brought, if if someone broke into my apartment right now, and gave me a little Caesar's pizza, I would eat a slice. This is what I'm saying. Um, but my, I, I will describe my dream setup because right now I just moved into an apartment and don't have any furniture. So I, I, I'm like sitting on a folding chair with my laptop on the floor. Um, at your folding table. At my folding table. That's right. Uh, but. No, I mean, my, my dream setup would be, you know, I'd have, like, a big desk, and I'd have, uh, you know, an additional monitor so I could I could um, put Foundry up on a different screen. And it's funny, I you guys might have seen this, I was actually having a conversation with some of the older guys on our server this week about physical versus digital dice. We have oh, always yeah, I played. That. I have physical dice that I use. <laughs> Sorry, I missed that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what I've noticed is, and I've played at a couple of other tables on either Roll Twenty. Well, actually, now that I think about it, pretty much exclusively Roll Twenty, um, where you know the rule is you roll and roll twenty, or if you're playing a game that's theater of the mind that's run exclusively through Discord, you roll through a bot on the Discord server so everyone can see your rolls. And it's just this kind of unspoken agreement that nobody can cheat because rolling is going to happen, you know, through some unimpeachable, publicly viewable thing like a like a bot or a, or a website. And we have always played at our table that, you know, you can use whatever automated tools are provided to you or you can roll your own dice and we just assume nobody's cheating. Um, but... I don't know. It, it was this funny conversation with these older guys where, um, ironically, the boomers are the only ones who like exclusively use the software tools, and the millennials are the ones that use like the analog products because the millennial are, the millennials are the ones that are buying the like nice handmade stuff on Etsy, and the boomers are too cheap for it. Yeah, I get it in the same shipment that my avocado toast comes in. I I just thought it was a, a weird reversal. Where like the the generational tendencies lead you to the opposite conclusion you'd expect, but I, See, I don't know that that would be the opposite of what I expect because like the younger 
air quotes, like the millennial people, I think, are the Etsy generation where, you know, oh, I gotta get my handcrafted whatever and my artisanal dice. I think that makes perfect sense. See, but I would have expected that the millennials would be the ones using an app to roll dice and the boomers would be the ones rolling dice. Or at least I would have assumed that the, the guys that have been playing D&D since, you know, the old like AD&D days would have physical dice that they had some attachment to. Um, yeah, maybe. But, no. Um, oh, by the way, uh, Caboose showed me the other day, his dad brought by, like, he has the original D&D sets. Uh-huh, like uh, the old school little pamphlet style ones? Yeah, yeah, and they're in really great shape, too, because his dad is a big um, historical war gamer. Like historical miniatures wargamer. Um, you should get those framed up. Uh, that would actually be a really cool thing to have on your wall. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not one of those guys who's like, oh, this is so valuable. You should try to sell it. I, I don't know what it's worth. It's just a, it's a neat thing to see because it's, it's his and he's had it since, you know, the whenever that came out, mid-70s, late-70s. Um, but um, me and Caboose and... His dad and a couple of other friends of ours are going to um, Historicon 2022, which is like a big his, uh, historical miniatures wargaming convention in July. Uh, that sounds cool. And I, I was surprised to see that the uh, like before registration for the event even opened up, the hotel room that adjoins the convention center was booked. Um, like it looks like it's actually going to be pretty crowded. I've never been to like a big con um neither of, of any kind yeah this will be my first one but i've i've done a little bit of miniatures wargaming with caboose and his like the kind of the the wargaming crowd that's around where i live which is like you know a dozen middle aged and older dudes um and it's fun it's it's very different from what we do but um, I played a game a couple of weekends ago against uh, Caboose's dad, where it was like uh, we were the Egyptians and he was the Assyrian army. Um, it's it's cool. It's very different, but I'm I'm uh, interested. The con is like five days long, so that ma- that makes sense to me. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't, I, I'm I'm going to like Hammy McWhammy, and I'm taking. Like a week off to go to the con and another week off to have a, you know, vacation from my vacation when I get back. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, the only time I've ever... I went to, like, a... When I was in Hawaii, I went to a small Comic-Con at the Honolulu Convention Center. And I'm talking, it was real small. Sure. It looked like the the Comic-Con from season one of Psych. Yeah. Where it's, like, it's, like, really, really tiny. It's, like, in a hotel ballroom. Right, exactly. Um, And, uh... I, I don't know. I've heard such, like, bad things about all those, uh, you know, PAX or Comic-Con or E3 or whatever. I know they're all different, but uh, I'd like to go to some kind of con at some point just to see what all the fuss is about. But it, it just kind of sounds like a nightmare, honestly. Well, I'll tell you what, dude. You uh, take that leave, come out to Historicon with us. We got a big uh, five-bedroom Airbnb. Uh-huh. That's not bad. It's like a ten-minute walk from the from the convention center Mm -hmm. but yeah it should be really interesting um the funny thing or a funny thing i should say about these wargaming conventions is if you look through the program for one um 
there's like a different rule set for every table. So, okay, you know, they're very focused around running a lot of games. Like that's, you know, it's, it's not like it's a bunch of booths where people are selling shit, although I'm sure that will be there as well. The focus is on, you know, games you can show up to, sit down and play at. And each of those games has some kind of game master that is intimately familiar with that particular battle has the armies there, so they could be hundreds or thousands of miniatures for that particular conflict, plus all of the terrain. And then they'll pick a rule set that... Pick or make a rule set that's appropriate for that specific battle. Um, And so, given the amount of investment, a lot of these guys basically only have the gear for a specific battle by that point, because that is so much money and space. Right. Um, But it also means that you are handcuffed to them as a GM because they've, you know, they've. They're the one guy that actually knows what's going on here. Right. And they have had to tailor a specific rule set to that battle that's not portable. Um, I don't know. It's uh, just interesting. And and it's interesting because, you know, D&D came from wargaming. You know, I'm I'm not like a big D&D history guy, but. D&D came out as a, I think, a supplement to Chainmail, which is a medieval, like, skirmish-level um, war game. Right, because I think the big difference between Dungeons & Dragons and Chainmail and the other things like it was Dungeons & Dragons was one of the first systems that really focused on playing as one guy as opposed to, you know, doing a whole army. Well, I think Chainmail oh. was like that. Um, oh, Chainmail was like that? And, okay. and then Dungeons & Dragons basically came out of a supplement to Chainmail, which was, um, which dealt with, you know, well, what if you're not fighting another human opponent? What if you're fighting, like, a dragon? Um, you know, and it, it opened some, like, Tolkien-esque fantasy doors, and then that became popular right. enough that they, um, I, I mean, there are a lot of steps I'm missing here, but ultimately D&D came out of that. Um, because there there are different levels of war game, which I think you already kind of alluded to. There are levels where you're controlling um, like large groups of men, and then there are I'm I'm going to get these levels mixed up, but ultimately I, I think skirmish level is where you're controlling an individual guy, um, because there are strategic war games and there. Well, I'm now I'm I'm conflating levels of war because there's strategic, operational, and tactical levels of war in like actual military doctrine right that to some degree maps onto the way war games are done as well where i think skirmish is the lowest level and you control a single character or unit but anyway um looking forward to historicon 2022 i think it's going to be interesting well you'll have to send us lots of pictures or something i don't know yeah i'll uh, i'm gonna hire a sketch artist to follow me around because i don't really want to do pictures oh nice like the court artists kind of thing right yeah, no, that's pretty So you good. get, like, an artist rendering of kind of what I've been up to. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, changing the subject, uh, it came up... I don't remember which of the last four it came up in, but it's something that comes up relatively frequently, and it's something that may bear some clarification. Duncan, you posed the question when we were talking about something about whether X was better than Dark Souls, and I don't even think we were talking about a video game. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, and, not uh, that we needed to be. It, it's something that, you know, you in particular have been doing since Dark Souls came out, approximately. <laughs> and as sort of a, a joke, but I'd be 
I think it'd be good for the audience for you to discuss, like, why why you would constantly be comparing everything to Dark Souls, sure. uh, even when it's totally inappropriate. I guess there are really two reasons, and so that's first, um, Dark Souls came out at about the same time that Skyrim came out, and people kept comparing them, and so there were a lot of, like, stupid video game journalism articles about whether or not Skyrim or Dark Souls were going to beat the other one, which to me seemed like a silly question because based on Demon Souls, which is the previous From Software game, and Oblivion and all the other um, Bethesda uh, games, like they were just going to be two totally different products and it didn't really make any sense to compare them to each other. Um, but they're there seemed to be this, um, like, f this race that Skyrim and Dark Souls were competing in. And, uh, so, that, that is what I'm referencing, is the, and, you know, after they came out, there were the ensuing, like, ten reasons why Dark Souls is better than Skyrim. Um, and it's, it's just apples and oranges, as far as I'm concerned. Um... But then the other side of it is uh, whenever anything is slightly difficult, people say it's the Dark Souls of whatever class of objects that thing is. Yeah, like Crash Bandicoot. Um, yeah, uh, I think we're going to make the Dark Souls of competitive first-person shooters. Driving stick <laughs> shit is the Dark outlaws? Souls of cars. It was Lawbreakers. Lawbreakers, whatever. Yeah, Outlaws, whatever. Yeah, so, Kropy Cat has a good video about that. Yeah. But it, Dark, Dark Souls has just become this, like, weird cultural thing to describe both quality and difficulty um, in different contexts. And the, the false comparison between Skyrim and, and Dark Souls just always made me laugh. So I guess, I guess that wouldn't make sense to you if you weren't paying attention to video game news in, you know, 2010 when I, I think Dark Souls came out. But... I assume that was ever literally everyone. So, so which is better though, Dark Souls or Skyrim? Oh, Dark Souls. That's what's so funny about it is there's no question that Dark Souls kicks Skyrim's ass. Uh huh. And anyone who doesn't think so is a fucking loser. Right. Yeah. Um. And with that, Jack, would you kind of remind everyone what Gamergate's all about and why it's important? I was never actually super clear on what Gamergate was about. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, nor I. I, I know, know a lot of people got really mad about it. Some people really care about it, and did it happen like how long ago now? I, I don't I mean, know. The better part I of a also, decade, I, think. I, I really don't have a good <laughs> grasp on what exactly Gamergate is, but I know it makes people really upset. It's something about video game journalism, I think. Yeah, um, that's that's the only thing that it seems like anybody that I've ever talked to knows about it, but. And, like, it's about ethics and games journalism is, like, a quote that gets thrown around a lot when people are making fun of it. But I don't know what the context is. Jack, just link the Wikipedia article for Gamergate and then no, let's move I'm, on. I'm so if I say right I'm, now, actually. If I say I'm pro-Gamergate, does that mean I... What does that mean I'm pro? Am I pro... I, I think you're pro-exposure of a scandal. Not like I'm on... But who cares? Oh, no, 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 no. I want to cover up on. scandals. So I'm whatever the All opposite right. of that is. I'm anti-Gamergate because I think that when people do bad stuff, we should be able to pay enough money to make it go away. And with that, we're moving on because we don't know anything about Gamergate. Um, okay, uh, so I, I have a question here that I wrote down about um, what do you guys think about late afternoon gaming merchandising ideas? So, yeah, it was something that I brought up beforehand of... Uh, I rel 
kind of haphazardly threw together the uh, picture that we've got uh, as like our thumbnail or whatever for our uh, our podcast that appears on your podcasting app. Um, took me a couple minutes in Photoshop. Didn't work too hard on it. Uh, the only feedback I requested was what font should I use? Well, no, that's not exactly <laughs> true, right? Because you said, I don't know what to make for our logo. Uh, right, I'm and- talking about this was at the beginning. Um, it, uh, like when I was initially making the picture. Mm. Or what, did I ask another question then? Yeah, because you couldn't figure out what to make for a logo. And, and we were like, well, obviously it needs to be a setting sun that's a D20 because it's late afternoon. You guys didn't say that. I had already made that. Uh, false. Check the Discord <laughs> logs. Okay. Um, Check the Discord logs, listeners. Yeah, I'd, I'd be very curious to to see this because I don't recall that I'm at all. I'm scrolling back in general. I'm going to fucking find it. Searching right. thumbnail. Pause. God, this is so long ago. My fear is that I'm not even in the right channel. I'm scrolling up the wrong spot. Apparently, Gamergate made it to the United Nations. What does that even mean? I don't know what that means. <laughs> On September 24th, video game developer Zoe Quinn and cultural critic Anita Sarkeesian, both targets of Gamergate, testified in front of the United Nations about online harassment. That same day, the United Nations Broadband Commission released a report of cyber violence against women and girls, which instantly sparked controversy for its claims that video games cause violence, among other things. Hmm. Okay, the video games cause violence thing, that makes sense. Because the UN talks about a lot of silly things yeah i just i like the idea that gamergate in some in some sense was condemned by the un and we still have no idea what it is i'm sure the un condemns plenty of things so so what are you guys trying to look up right now i got distracted because i was looking up gamergate stuff we're trying to establish what feedback specifically i requested uh or ideas i had solicited for the thumbnail or the like the image that we have as our uh um podcast picture Hmm. Yeah, so I'm just gonna say that this interaction happened over voice. <laughs> okay, yeah. What, I mean, uh, I can't find it. Which means I must Let's, be right, because you can't prove me wrong. Don't give a shit. Let's move on. Uh, I have another thing that I thought was actually very funny during um, uh, Downtime 4, Herald of the Moon. This is something that I had actually never really thought of before for Dungeons & Dragons, but Duncan... The first time that Jack's character, Bob the Improbable, also known as Walthana, mm-hmm. went into a rage, <laughs> you paused for a second and said, yeah, but like, what are you so mad about? Uh, <laughs> um, and I thought that that was extremely funny uh, because it's just like, it's a feature, it's called rage and, you know, all barbarians do it all the time. And it, to me, it is kind of an interesting question of like, what are you doing to psych yourself up to get so mad? Um, yeah. And something that I think would be a kind of funny thing to do to one of your players is like they have to justify their anger every time and it has to be something different because, you know, uh, I think most people, you can't just get mad about the same thing every time. Like you'll you'll get numb to it. So you got to change it up. So I'll uh, I, I really like that you raised that point because this is something I've been thinking about this week and I have been guest GMing in a friend's Delta Green campaign for the past month. And his his group is considerably less roleplay heavy, um, which is not to say like it isn't a you know an interesting game where people make interesting decisions and stuff like that, but it, it they, they do less like speaking in character, if that makes sense. And so what will happen a lot in games like that is people will say things like, Oh, I convince him to do this. 
or I, I, I try to convince, I try, I make a charismatic speech, you know, things like that. And you're like, okay, like, well, well what do you say? And so it's this kind of, it's this TTRPG question of what do the characters actually need to roleplay and justify and what can just be justified through having points and a skill and making skill checks with dice rolls. Um, so, and there are obvious limitations where, like, if your character has a lot of points and in intelligence, like, you cannot pretend, you, it's very difficult to pretend to be smarter than you actually are. You know, it's one thing to sit at a table and pretend to be, or play a character that's stronger than you are, because you know what a stronger person might do. But to pretend to be smarter than you are, or more charismatic than you are, is like a bigger ask from a role-playing standpoint. Right, because it's not, well, I'm I'm an average intelligence person, but I'm playing someone who's five standard deviations above the norm intelligence-wise. Right. Like, now I am smart enough to think of the things that they would. Sure, and, and no. even in a more specific application, um, so I had a player in a Delta Green game where um, they were, well, they were trying to do two things. They were staking out this farmhouse that a bunch of cultists were living in, and they knew the cultists were going to get up that day and make a day trip out to another location. And they wanted to, well, the two things they wanted to do were search the house, the farmhouse that the cultists were staying in, but they also wanted to be able to observe the cultists the whole time they were on their, they got to the secondary location that they were day tripping to. And instead of doing the sensible thing, which would be splitting up and some people searching the house and some people following the cultists, they wanted to stick together and search the house together and surveil them the whole time when they were on the day trip, which meant delaying them on the road somehow. And so they decided what they would do was they wanted to give the car, like cause some kind of car trouble that would cause the car to break down between locations, but in a way that was fixable, like, a, you know, giving them a flat tire or something so that they would change the tire out, which would give the players enough time to search the farmhouse, get on the road, race ahead, get to the second location, and be able to surveil it. So, you know, my question was, okay, so what are you going to do? Like, what's... How are you actually going to make that happen? And um, the player says, well, I have a lot of... You know, I have points in mechanic. So... Can I just make a check? And I was like, no, I, I, I get that, but like, what are you gonna, like, what are you doing to make the, you know, to, like, what is your character gonna do? Are you, are you trying to give them a flat tire somehow? And if so, how? Are you sabotaging their engine? Like, what, well, what are you doing? And, you know, after the game, I thought, is there, is that a fair question? Or should I just let him make a check and then say, okay, you, you know, you got this on your check that succeeded or failed. Here's what you do and here's what happens. And so, um, I don't know. As a, as a DM, I think that's an interesting question, but to other people, it may be boring. I, I think it is an interesting question. And I believe Matt Colville has a video. I don't remember if it was him, I'm but sure he had a video talking about how we do charisma checks backwards, um, where, um, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll go back to Delta Green here in a second, but the point of his video was, with something like a, you know, I don't know, some sort of like a, like a history check, um, you know, if you say, well, I want to, I want to see if I know something about this, the DM doesn't say, okay, well then tell me what you think is going on and then I'll tell you, 
to make a history check, maybe with advantage if you know a lot about it. And so then it's like, well, hang on, how am I supposed to know that? Right. Like, this is something my character would know, not me. I, I'm I'm checking to see if I know it. Um, whereas for charisma checks, like persuade or deception or most of those kind of things, uh, because the what I just described for the history check, that's like the you do it forward of, hey, I want to make this check, and then I'll tell you, you tell me whether it's successful, and then we can role play it. You do it the opposite with charisma, where if you're trying to deceive someone, if I like, if I fumble all over my lie that I say out loud, you might laugh and then give me disadvantage. It's like, well, yeah, but my guy has 20 charisma and he's really good at deceiving people. I'm not good at deceiving people as a person, but that's not the character I'm playing. So why are you penalizing my character for, you know, something that I personally am bad at? Um, well, that is a, you know, that's, that is a great point. And I, I think I just totally changed my mind on this. Um, right. And so going back to your Delta Green example, and I'm sorry I cut you off, but I want to make sure that I can get my point across. No, please. Um, at that point, what you're saying is that your character's score, or like your the score on your sheet should only be as good as what you think your score in real life would be. Because if I've got, a you know, let's say a 70 in some sort of mechanic skill um, in the game, but I'm forced to... Like, if I want to be able to actually execute that skill, I need to be at least that good in real life so I can know exactly what to do. Then every time I make a character, if I'm sitting at a table where that's a rule, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I think you get what I'm saying. No, I I, um, I totally do. Well, and I, I really, I, this is uh, one of those one of those funny occasions where I hear you and I go, oh yeah, no, that cl- clearly makes more sense than what I was doing before. Um, right. Uh, and I imagine that you know, you wouldn't do that for something like demolitions because you as a person probably don't know much more about demolitions than your average person and anyone you're playing with probably doesn't either. Right. So you, you'd be much more willing to excuse a total lack of knowledge, even if they've got a high skill where, uh, or like a high point value. Oh, I've got a 50 in demolitions. You know, no. uh, yeah, that's, that's probably enough to know how to do this thing. Yeah, it works. Yep. Yep. I, uh, um, no, that's, uh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think that is, and I I want to say I'll try and find the the Matt Colville video or whoever made it because I, I think it's just called something like we do charisma checks backwards or something like that, um, and that's kind of how how I thought about it. Now, with role playing, I think it is fun to try to be as charismatic as um, as your character, and I do the same thing where you know if you say something stupid, I penalize your character for it. So I'm not saying that I'm better about it. But I think it, it does make sense for, you know, give it a shot, try and see what the person's saying. And then if, if you flub it, say, well, anyway, I'm trying to deceive them and here's the point. And then you roll and see what happens. Yep. Um, no, I uh, really, I, I, I hear what you're saying and I, I agree with you. Um, man, I just wish Matt Colville would have brought this up when we were having drinks the other day. Yeah, well, we, I suspect he wants you to have watched all of his videos and the fact that you haven't. It, it probably eats him up, honestly. Maybe. I don't know. Because he knows. I mean, so it, it was it was the typical, you know, it's a monthly me, Matt Colville, and uh, uh, Matt Mercer meeting where we decide the fate of, you know, TTRPGs as a hobby. Um, and I mean, maybe he just had some other stuff on his mind because he didn't mention it. Uh, but back to the raging thing in particular. Um like obviously that's I, I don't think mechanically that that's really a good idea to make them justify their rage every single time but it's a funny idea um and if if your player is is down with it i think that would be a, an interesting like yeah. 
interesting wrinkle that they had to get through every time of like, well, what am I getting mad about this time? Well, and if I remember um, correctly, though, Jack gave the Hulk cop-out response, which was that yeah. he's well, always angry. I'm always angry. The first thing you said, Jack, was that uh, the thing that pisses you off is that the thing that lets you vent your anger is the thing that makes you mad. It's just like this this yeah, nasty just, cycle. It, it never ends, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, um, I, it's something that I thought was would be a really interesting take on uh, the Force in Star Wars, where um, the problem... Star Wars has a lot of problems. Uh, one of the things is I don't think there's actually a very good distinction between what the light side and the dark side of the Force actually are. And one avenue the you could go with it lightning. if you're trying to say again, the dark side has lightning. Uh huh. Um, like, but it seems like apart from things like lightning, they they basically do the same thing. So what is the difference? Um, and one way you could cut it if you're trying to tell a story that focuses on this kind of thing is that. It's the same thing. You just call it the dark side when someone is doing something bad with it. Uh, but I don't think that's really that interesting. What I think would be a more interesting story arc for, you know, how the Force works and how these people become these different, like, forms of a Force user would be the, air quotes, light side, right? You learn to use that through, like, focus and understanding the Force, whereas the dark side is you're using, like, strong emotions to like force your will upon the force and make it do what you want the interesting thing about that being um like what i was saying about anger earlier if you're trying to use anger or hatred you know you had to kind of keep descending further and further because you know things that you got mad about yesterday maybe you can't get as mad about today and you've got to keep finding new ways to become more angry and hateful and all of these things and so whereas being on the light side is like a stable equilibrium that you can maintain for a long time being in the dark side kind of forces you further and further into this death spiral of like emotional instability in order to maintain the same amount of power. And then that's what drives you to become someone who's very bad. Um, and I, I think that's that would be like an interesting take on the force and what the actual distinction is between the light and the dark side. Mm. The question of why is your character raging kind of reminded me of that and how I think that that would be an, an interesting take on something like that. But if the other thing that would be interesting about that is, you know, you can... A lot of people, when they roleplay Barbarians, it's... They get super pissed off during a fight, apparently. Um, and then throughout the rest of their life, nothing really makes them mad. And so it's just kind of like this at-will anger thing that, um, you know, it is that realistic? Is that how people operate? Maybe. Um, but it could be something where you say, hey... You know, you're rolling through town and doing your thing, and then something just pisses you off. You have to, like, roll some sort of saving throw to stop from, like, raging out right now because you, you've you got yourself set to be on such a hair trigger that, you know, sometimes you're going to get mad even when you don't want to. Uh, I think that that, that kind, kind of thing of could be a potentially interesting arc, uh, although it could also be very annoying. Where the fuck is Nerf? Uh, I don't know. You know, how long do we have to vamp? That's all I'm just... <laughs> Man, this is good stuff. What are you talking about? So, uh, I've uh, I bragged about my pencil collection before. but No, please no. Now I want to talk about dice. I think we talked about dice. Have we? Oh, on the on Table Talk? Like, several times, I think. No, yeah. I, I'm not talking about just the difference between physical and digital dice. I mean, um, who else is out there that likes to collect dice? And uh, what's your favorite set? Well, I've certainly collected many dice uh in my time what i started doing when i first you know started taking this up as a hobby was i 
I just went to the comic shop and I bought like, you know, that $3 set of, you know, the, the full array of dice uh, that comes in the little like plastic rectangular prism. The little Chessex set. Yeah, yeah. Um, of just like the the cheapo poly dice, and I would just buy a, a new set every time I went to the shop. Just mm-hmm. I mean, they're so cheap, um, and that way I had a, a big collection. And because I was playing with you and your friends, and most of you were first time players, that way, you know, the barrier to entry was even lower. I've already got a bunch of dice there, and you can. I had like a set set aside for everybody so they could use it. Yeah, and I, I, I um, like to give like if if someone plays with me in person, I like to give them their own set of dice to keep. It's a cool right. Like, I think it's a nice touch. Yeah. And so those, because, I mean, I ended up buying, I don't know, 20 sets of those or something. So I've just got, like, I've now just got, like, a community dice bin Yeah. where, uh, you know, for myself, I bought 10 sets of the same uh, kind of dice on um, Wormwood. Not, like, the super expensive sets, but, the, like, the... The poly ones. Yeah, the the or the resin ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I bought 10 sets of those and I have them in a bag and that's like my big pile of dice that I use for myself. But then, you know, oh, if somebody needs to sort of roll some gigantic spell that, you know, is 20d6 or something like that. Well, I've, I've got 20d6 uh, either in my bag or in the community pile. Mm. But then I've also got um, I've ordered some stuff on Etsy. Uh, I've ordered some um, I've, I've ordered two sets of the really nice Wormwood dice. Um, I don't know. I've. I've probably got somewhere in the ballpark of like, I don't know, 700 dice laying around in, in different forms. Most of them are in a box right now because uh, I I don't use physical dice that much as I'm doing everything online, but I definitely have a shit ton of dice. Mm. I've kind of slowed down on it because I really just don't need any more. Right. Yeah, I, uh, I don't have that many, um, but I do have a lot, and I really like uh, Die Hard Dice, which I think is like a pretty small store i think it's like a mom and pop kind of deal um but they have good deals on interesting dice and i bought um well actually i don't even know if you can get these anymore but they're these cool they almost look like they're made out of clay they're like these aged looking dice um and then i have bought some interesting sets of dice on etsy that are i really like um but dice is like an easy, uncontroversial gift to give to a TTRPG player, and I I, I like, um, like I said, if if there's going to be a new player that plays in person for the first time, it's cool to start the game by saying, "Here are your own dice." I find that it gets them more invested in the game, um, and then uh, it, it's a nice way to show that you appreciate like a you know players in a campaign too. I think, um, and a. Uh, Nerf isn't here, but uh, he, he helped me move last weekend, and I got him some dice for Cockabee that are, uh, um, there's a set of dice that's, uh, it's clear poly, but in the center there are chickens. <laughs> um, some of the dice have chickens, and then I think one of them has, it's like, there's a hen, and then there's some baby chickens, and then there's one that has an egg, and then there's another set of dice that has skulls in the center of clear poly. Post some pictures of them to the uh, late afternoon gaming subreddit um, so that our, our viewers can check them out. I sure will. Yeah. I think that I only have one set of dice, but uh, or, well, I got two sets of the same style, but mine are also from Die Hard Dice. I love those guys. Yeah. And there are these, like, one of the things that Die Hard Dice does a lot of, like, they have all different styles, but they have a huge line of metal dice, and they're just so satisfying. I have ones that are made out of copper. 
Mm. Um, and they're just like, they've got a nice heft to them, you know? Like when you roll them, I've got a little padded uh, dice tray thing that I think Shepard got me. Um, it's it's octagonal. Shepard, I don't know if, if you remember this, but I'm pretty sure you, you bought me a little dice tray. I'd, I've bought you so many things that it sounds like something I would have done. Yeah, I think that was but, me. Um, oh, okay, but yeah. Uh, but like, if when I roll in it, and I'll hold this next to the microphone, I don't know how it'll come through, but it's, it just has a nice sound to it. It's just like, ah, it just feels good. I, I will it, say, it'll come through on Audacity. It didn't come through on Discord. That, yeah. that is something I like about the players rolling physical dice is I like to hear them when I listen to the podcast. Like when you hear the, especially with like the, the wooden dice trays, like the wormwood ones. Oh yeah, that's and the nice thing about the wormwood trays is they have like the little feet, and so they're elevated, you know, a quarter inch off the table. So there's a really like a nice echo, um, and there's this solid like thunk when the dice lands. I I, I I don't know. I I really like that. It's something I I like when people try to do something in a TTRPG, and then you hear that that the noise of the roll and everyone is waiting to see what happened um that just adds to the experience for me i'll make sure that uh moving forward whenever i'm doing a roll i'll uh i'll put it right up next to the mic so that when you listen to the podcast you'll get it yeah if we and you yeah. know what and we can that tag can this really as ASMR. My hair yeah i'll do an attack roll it'll be great <laughs> i would be totally fine if you didn't do that i i'll do it go ahead and do it the thing the thing I like about the uh, digital dice thing is that uh, I think it's funny when we all react to the roll at the same time. Here's an example. In Herald of the Moon, uh, Nerf, this is actually hilarious. He had this big production about trying to figure out if a 16 hit, if he could get... Oh, and there he is. I am now testing my recording, and it looks like it is going great. Great. Uh, but I was actually just talking about you, so... Uh, there's this really funny moment in Herald of the Moon when at center all the Faithless rolled like a 16 hit against whatever those beasts that we were fighting in that pit were. Um, so you were struggling. You're like, oh, wait, um, I think I can add this. Uh, but what if I do this? And it was like this five minute production of trying to figure out how to get up to uh, a 17 or an 18 or whatever you needed to hit. And eventually you determined that, OK, well, I, I didn't hit. And then... <laughs> I reminded you that you have two attacks per turn. You're like, oh yeah, I'll try that. And then you got the exact same roll, and we all saw it at the same time, and it was very funny. Um, but I, I so, think that almost plays into my point, though, which is, like, the the die-rolling part of the game is really fun. And whether it's listening to a die that you can't see, or it's watching a die that's rolling across your screen, like, that's part of the magic. Sure, what I'm saying is that the digital die-rolling has this has an effect that the physical dice don't which is that everyone can see the result at the exact same time mm. um, so you're not waiting for a nerf to say oh my god i got the exact same role and then you know we all respond to it we all get to see it at the same time and experience that with him as opposed to he has to you know prep us for it another example would be um us seeing when uh corvid rolled um on whatever synaptics static uh it was like a seventh level spell or something like that and he got a 22 damage on it and we all got to see at the same time how bad the roll was 
yes. um, and react to it together uh, as opposed to him having to say, oh, come on, half the rules were ones. Um, so, like, and then we all laugh at it then. Listeners, this is why I need you to buy into the podcast enough that I can be rich enough that I can co-locate all of us so we can play in person because then we could see and hear the dice at the same time. But that's the thing, too. Even at the table, unless we're all rolling in some big community pit, typically people are rolling right in front of them. And unless you're the guy right next to them, you know, if Nerf is sitting next to Jack when he rolls, Nerf can peek over and see what's going well, on. Well, no, no, you, if you I'm don't sitting understand. across the table from him, maybe not. I would have Wormwood make us a, like, an enormous dice tray with, with like, a four-foot-tall die. Oh, okay. It would be, like, this big, <laughs> like... <laughs> Like they're these big like foam dice that they're like as tall as a person. No, they would be uh, gemstone. Oh, okay. So they'd weigh like 200 pounds. <laughs> so yeah, you know how one of my life streams has been, you know, when I ultimately become rich to have a like a giant monopoly board that we would walk around and build model houses on. That sounds terrible. No, we would play it though. I know um, we would, but it would be terrible. Yeah, it w- I, I it wouldn't would play be. it. I hate monopoly. It would be, but <laughs> we would do it anyway. Um. I'm going to do that for D&D as well. Monopoly, which I believe is still considered like one of the worst board games to actually play. And yet I have this affinity for it. Listeners, if you're not aware of why that would be the case, it's because it's it's almost all like it's like a solved game. Um, it's it's all luck based because it's just where do you land and then you buy every property you can um, like that's that's it. There's really not much more to it. Uh, you can't really be good at monopolies or or there's not a lot of skill that can offset just rolling poorly and not landing on good properties the the chance to length ratio is off way off yeah but anyway i assure you that if i am fabulously wealthy one day we will be playing a large-scale monopoly game whether you like it or not count me out because otherwise i'll be threatening you with a lot of litigation oh (laughs) okay um and with that, uh, you guys want to grab a drink and then get started? Sure, sure thing. Unless, Nerf, was there anything you wanted to bring up for a table talk? Um, no, I think we covered everything. <laughs> All right, good. 